This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And you are listening to our weekly Doctor in the House series. And so joining me is my co-host, consultant urologist, Dr. George Lee. How are you doing today, George? I'm excited to be in the same show with you. And also, you know, there's a limbo period between Chinese New Year and Hari Raya. Yep. And of course, it's kind of relatively quiet out there because it's school holidays as mm-hmm. well. And we've got a very exciting subject. So for that, so listeners out there who are in the car perhaps can actually, you know, Join in our conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, we will be talking about the health and well-being of migrant workers today because in the last two months in particular, we've had several developments um, involving migrant workers which have put a spotlight on their right to fair living mm-hmm. and working conditions. Now, in one case, it was revealed that several hundred Bangladeshi migrant workers had been left stranded and jobless after being duped by their recruitment agency. Um, and separately, you know, you might also have heard of the Negri Sambilan and Johor governments um, announcing that migrant workers in those states have to be housed in registered centralised living quarters or CLQs and not in residential areas. Mm. And of course, this comes in a situation where almost every month, you know, we hear a news report about migrant workers being injured, in some Mm -hmm. cases fatally, um, while on the job. So we want to explore all these issues on the show today. Um, And so joining us um, are our two guests, Associate Professor Dr. Tarani Loganadan, Public Health Physician and Associate Professor of Global Health at University Malaya, as well as Dr. Abed On, Vice President of the Academy of Occupational and Environmental Medicine Malaysia. Dr. Tarani and Dr. Abed, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Happy to have you both on. And as George mentioned, you can call us with your questions at 0377 You can also WhatsApp them in. Um, our U mobile number is 018-789-8899. Um, I'm going to start with a big picture question, Dr. Tarani, because I mean, we have millions of refugees and migrants um, around the world in vulnerable situations. Um, and low-skilled migrant workers in particular face poorer health outcomes than their host communities um, in most countries that we look at, right? Um, being a migrant worker is put simply bad for your health. From a public and global health perspective, why is this the case? Thank you, Sue Ann, for the question. Um, you know, migrant workers, unlike refugees and asylum seekers, are actually health, generally healthy adults. Mm-hmm. Okay? They leave their, health, their countries in the prime of health to seek employment. They're coming here to work, right? So documented workers must undergo pre-employment medical examinations, medical screenings, and then annual screenings just to get their work permits. Okay? It is actually the conditions of living and working and poor access to necessary <coughs> health care mm. that affects your health outcomes. Okay, So mm. these are what we call in public health the social determinants of health. You know, So these are the conditions that determine your health that are not your individual biology or your genetics or even your lifestyle. So it's beyond your control, really. So they came healthy, and then because of work condition actually make them unhealthy, Mm -hmm. and then that's why they are susceptible to all sorts of medical conditions. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm. So um, going off that, then Dr. Abed, you know, in Malaysia, migrant workers dominate in the construction, manufacturing, and plantation sectors. Um, From an occupational um, health perspective, right, what kind of industrial and working hazards are they exposed to in these work areas? Okay, uh, for migrant workers in Mm. Malaysia, they face the worst possible hazards 
that we have in our yes. industry. Because those are jobs that Malaysians don't want to do. That's mm. right. They call it 3Ds, you know. Uh-huh. Nobody wants to do those kind of jobs, yeah. And so we have the usual physical hazards, chemical hazards, biological hazards, ergonomic hazards, and psychosocial hazards. Mm. All of them, they are exposed to these hazards during the course of their day, daily mm-hmm. work, really, you know. So, uh, you know, it's very difficult for them to adjust to it, number one, mm-hmm. mainly because they're not familiar with it, mm. with the hazards, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, in trying to educate them and give them information, we have this language issue as well. Of course, yeah. yeah. And of course, not all employers are diligent about educating mm-hmm. their, their employees. They just say, just get to work, you know. Mm. And the supervisor just put them to the field to, ta- uh, to, to cut down, uh, you know, palm oil and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that sense, they are unprepared. Uh, whereas in a manufacturing sector, uh, particularly manufacturing sector, uh, they, they are a bit more structured than mm-hmm. that. But in the construction and in the uh, plantation in particular, those two sectors, uh, the, the, the uh, for migrant workers, do not get a, mm-hmm. a fair deal, really. So, Dr. Abit, what you're highlighting essentially is hardly any training that put them into kind of the field straight away. They're in a sink or swim situation. Condition. And also, perhaps the work conditions is, uh, is probably not so protective yeah. or not so, uh, you know, uh, construed for their well-being and safety. Mm-hmm. So, who's responsible for their well-being? This is... The, the responsibilities of the employers. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which is the Umbrella Act for all work-related issues, mm-hmm. uh, health issues uh, in Malaysia. And in that act, it, does, it says that the employer is responsible mm-hmm. and it does not differentiate between Malaysian Malaysians or, Malaysian. or uh, migrant workers. Uh-huh. Everyone but should everybody be should equally. be treated equally. Mm-hmm. So we have robust law oh, yeah, we have to protect to all the workforce. Yes. However, it is somehow seems to be some sort of discrimination against uh, the non-Malaysians. I, I don't know what... I, I the discrimination is a neglect, ne- perhaps. Neglect. <laughs> yeah, it's a neglect. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think the, the employers... Because it's a, a cheap labour for them. Right. You know? And they are dispensable. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of them look at it as dispensable... Yeah. Uh, you know, very you harsh know. words, but no, I'm it's sorry, true. Right? It is true that. in some mm. way, right? Yeah. yeah. Doctor Tarani, from that perspective of laws and policies, then mm. we talk about safeguarding um, the health of workers, and in this con- in the context of discussion, particularly migrant workers, do you see them as sufficient, or what gaps do you see as well? So actually, I feel it's insufficient. Mm. I mean, um, in Malaysia, as Doctor Abid was talking about, our laws. We have Employment Act, we have the SOXO Acts and um, all the labour um, labor, uh, regulations. regulations. Huh? You have um, uh, standards, minimum standards for housing, safety and so on. But it's actually for all workers. Mm. Okay, It's nothing is specific for migrant workers. Okay, And like for instance, our Malaysian Employment Act uh, and regulations uh, associated they don't actually cover the health of workers, mm-hmm. any workers, even mm-hmm. Malaysian workers. Employers are not, how do you say, uh, responsible to 
give healthcare, provide healthcare for any workers, mm-hmm. even Malaysian workers. Mm. So I would say it's inadequate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but workplace safety, especially mm-hmm. SOXO and that sort of thing, that that's quite robust, right? I'm having, I'm getting the impression that you know uh, if somebody get hurt in the workplace, you know there will be a lot of recourse and you know backed by SOXOs and very mm. robust law. Is that a false impression? Um, we have our regulations. I think um, uh, Dr. Abed is probably the best person to s- to speak about this. Sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, migrant workers like any other worker yeah. would be would have access to the labor courts and all mm. those things. Mm. But whether they have the knowledge uh-huh. and uh, how do you say the access? Yeah, because and there are the two issues here. Yeah. I mean, one obviously is the workplace safety. The mm. other one is the well-being of mm. them when they fall ill. Mm. What happened to them, mm. Doctor Abit? Exactly. What are the kind of like a safety net for workers, regardless of your nationality, as far as workplace safety? Okay. In terms of safety and health, I suppose, mm-hmm. under the under Occupational Safety Health Act, mm-hmm. uh, it's very clear, you know, that the employers are responsible. The employees are also responsible for themselves. Mm-hmm. All right? And an employee is allowed to tell the employer, I'm sorry, I can't work here. Because I, I'm not going to do this job or this task because it's dangerous for me. Uh-huh. But who dares to do that to the employer because you uh, fear you might lose your job job. especially Especially people who are here uh, on work permit uh, yeah yeah, you're a migrant worker in particular let alone a a local person Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know so that's one part of it then the other part of course is the department of occupational safety and health has the responsibility of enforcing the regulations Uh and like most enforcement agencies they are short staff yeah and to go around to check on everybody mm. is almost impossible, number Understood. one. And number two, under the Act as well, they talk about, uh, what do you call that, the, the, they ask the employers mm-hmm. to self-regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. Because when they came up with this Act, mm-hmm. the industry said, hey, we know what we are doing. We are the ones who are, you know, manufacturing and all that. And they actually... Uh, lobbied the government to make it a self-regulating thing. Unfortunately, I think the self-regulation is not working as well as it should be. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's what's happening. Enforcement is always key, and enforcement is always something that um, a lot of uh, that we struggle with when it comes to a lot of things in the Malaysian landscape. Um, mm. We'll go for a quick break, then continue this discussion when we come back on the show with me today. Our associate professor, Dr. Tarani Loganathan, public health physician. Um, from University Malaya and Dr. Abed On, Vice President of the Academy of Occupational and Environmental Medicine Malaysia. And of course, my co-host, consultant urologist, Dr. George Lee. We'll be right back after a quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su, and you're tuned into our Doctor in the House series. And so joining me today is consultant neurologist Dr. George Lee as my co-host. And our guests for today are Associate Professor Dr. Tarani Loganathan, Public Health Physician at University Malaya, and Dr. Abed On, Vice President of the Academy of Occupational and Environmental Medicine Malaysia. We are talking about the health and well-being of migrant workers today. Um, and before the break, we were focusing a fair bit on migrant workers' from the construction, manufacturing and plantation sectors. Those are where they mainly work when it comes to um, the Malaysian employment landscape. Um, but Dr. Tarani, I want to quickly talk about domestic helpers for a mm-hmm. bit as well because mm-hmm. yeah. um, that's 
that's um, an area of um, migrant work that a lot of us are familiar with. Um, and they are quite unique in the sense that their lives exist in that hidden sphere of private households. Um, they live and work within homes. What is their situation like when it comes to their health and well-being? You know, what, what are their health problems? How is it different? Yeah. So, thanks, uh, Sue Anne. So, domestic workers are unique. Rightly, as you said, they live and work in private households. And their workplace being their employer's house, mm. uh, home, is not actually considered a workplace by law. Mm. Okay, How do you regulate uh, conditions in a private home? Okay, So the Employment Act, the OSH Acts, labour regulations do not actually cover mm. private households. They are not considered workplaces. Okay, So it's also almost impossible to regulate. How do you ensure that they have like one day rest day off? Mm. Okay, the the hours that you're working is not uh, more than eight hours or whatever that's permissible. The work and living conditions it's very difficult reg- to regulate. Mm. Okay, also the access to healthcare is dependent on totally dependent on your employers. Mm-hmm. Okay, Un- unlike other migrant workers, domestic workers are not automatically covered by health insurance. The SPICPA. Uh. Okay, it is imp- optional for them. So for other migrant workers, uh, documented migrant workers, PICPA is yes. um, necessary for your, your annual work permit. So you need to get that policy. Mm-hmm. Until recently, they were not covered by SOCSO. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, I, my understanding is the law um, assumes that uh, domestic workers and plantation workers are actually um, uh, the employers are covered. Uh, uh, cover their healthcare access. Plantation workers as well. Yeah, plantation workers as well. Okay, so uh, as any other worker, domestic worker is also at risk of injury, Mm -hmm. of illness and of abuse. Mm -hmm. Okay, but being in a private household, right, it restricts their movement. Mm -hmm. You know, they cannot access healthcare like you and me. They cannot, they do not have means of social and mental support. I mean, in some households, they may not even have access to a phone, right? Mm, yeah, that yeah. still happens. So they are very much dependent on their employers. Okay, the other issue that they may face, uh, them being female, mm. uh, women migrant workers in Malaysia face discriminatory employment practices in gender discriminatory employment practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, pregnancy is prohibited mm-hmm. uh, for migrant workers in Malaysia. I mean, basically, they are at risk of termination of employment and deportation. Mm-hmm. But uh, yet, there is no... Um, provision of uh, sexual reproductive health, education or services, including contraception and so on. And this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So then, Dr. Tarani, you touched on the challenges that domestic workers face in accessing healthcare. But when um, when we talk about migrant workers, other migrant workers in general, right, what access do they actually have to our healthcare services, especially public healthcare services? Mm-hmm. So uh, migrant workers, right, I mean, they, they technically can can access uh, public and private healthcare. I mean, mm. it shouldn't be a problem. But uh, in public healthcare facilities, migrant workers need to show their documentation. They need to show their passport and work permit. Mm-hmm. Okay, because healthcare workers are obliged to check and report undocumented workers to the immigration. Oh. Okay, yeah. so the other important aspect is the fees. Mm. So at public healthcare faci- uh, facilities for us Malaysians is very much subsidized. Mm-hmm. But for migrant workers the, the it's many times more it's unsubsidized and also the pricing is more like what you'd encounter in private private health care where it is um itemized. Mm. So it, it, oh. can, can it can be very expensive very quickly. 
Uh, there is health insurance, as I was mm-hmm. mentioning earlier, the SPICPA. But that only covers hospitalization and surgery and the quantum is very small. It's 20,000 ringgit annually. So, mm. you know, and they are having foreign fee, foreign foreigners fees. So it's not enough for very much. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, financial barriers is a main issue and documentation is an issue as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's happening to all the um, migrant workers who are sick at the moment? Uh, I th- if they can't afford it, and then you know we highlighted that there's no uh, uh, mandatory uh, insurance scheme, even mm. there is, and it's minimal. So let's say, for example, um, in my line of work, we always get um, uh, migrant workers who presented unexpectedly with kidney stones. For example, mm. when you came mm. to the country, you're healthy, and then kidney stone can hit anyone. Mm-hmm. And then one afternoon, you suddenly turn up and being brought by uh, ambulance, and then you diagnose having kidney stones. If you're taken to, let's say, GH Hospital, obviously the scans, everything costs you money, and then suddenly you need to have an operation, you're in excruciating pain. What's happening currently? So currently, if you are a documented worker, I don't think you have so much of a problem because you have SPICPA insurance. So mm. that is uh, a cardless insurance. So you go in and you show your passport, your work permit, uh-huh. and should have access to care. But do, uh, do they... There's a ceiling. That's right, there's a ceiling. There's a ceiling. Uh, there's another issue that a lot of employers and also the migrant workers don't know about this insurance because you mm. don't have a card. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't know about it. So they wait until it's quite late to go in. But they have some service. Mm-hmm. Okay, the problem is when you're undocumented. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. if you are employed, I I guess if you're in, with a multinational company, a lot of them actually provide some sort of healthcare facilities mm-hmm. to their workers, and that might be most likely outpatient care, uh-huh. uh, clinics, maybe panel clinics, and mm-hmm. so on. But hospitalization is through SPICPA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, I think. Uh, the somewhere in the regulation says that if a, if a registered em, uh, migrant worker mm-hmm. falls ill and all that and all the charges, the employer becomes responsible for it uh-huh. anyway. Right. Yeah, ev- eventually when all their uh, insurance uh, exhausted is exhausted. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. is there a ceiling? I mean, employers are like you know infinitely covered uh, covering the no no. There's no ceiling. What at all. happens is uh, I think. Um, yeah, so after SPICPA finishes that limit of 20000 mm-hmm. the employer is responsible. Mm-hmm. Okay, If the employer does not pay, then he is blacklisted or the employer is blacklisted from bringing in further foreign, mig- workers. Yeah, right, okay. foreign workers. Yeah. Mm. Doctor, I mean, I'm just going to use the same scenario of, mm-hmm. um, let's say this, um, uh, let's use the documented person first, mm-hmm. you know, came in with kidney stone, excruciating pain. With the hospital up from ask for money up front first and then before they admit it or usually they just get treated let's say in a government hospital okay I've not worked in a government hospital for many many years yeah. now yeah. so yeah. maybe yeah. Uh, Prof yeah. Tarani might, might so be it's, to, yeah. it's I mean basically the documented workers as I said they shouldn't have a problem not even ask for it okay because obviously it's there's a cost issue but they, with that card they, and everything it should be covered should, yeah they yeah. don't have a physical card yeah. so they may, may be reluctant because they don't know it exists mm. yeah. but if they are documented, they should, they are, I mean, they're having their work permits re- re- uh, renewed every year. Sure, they should sure, have sure. speak pass. What so, about undocumented in that scenario? If you're undocumented, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So 
public hospitals do not turn people away. So if you come in with an emergency, they will probably treat you. Yeah. Then they will they will need to. I mean, now they are quite strict in getting back their money, lah. Mm. Right. Uh, so sometimes friends and family and um. Try and pay back, lah. Sure. Mm. So essentially, as healthcare providers, we are obliged exactly. to treat people who are, who are ill, right? I mean, we we'll go ahead and treat that. And then, but the thing is that when they're well, the natural thing to do is just abscond, right? Is yeah, that what's yeah, happening exactly. now? I'm, I'm sure it happens all the time, you know. Mm. Um, so um, I, I'm, I'm always when people talk about comparing our health system with NHS and or even US, actually. I always feel that you know ours is not that bad, you know, in that sense. Uh, we do treat people in a government setting, yeah, government hospital setting. In an emergency, yes, we'll treat first, and then we'll talk later, mm. and then we'll get a social worker mm. in to discuss how we can sort this out and all that. And in the end, from my last experience in university hospital, uh, they they would actually say, okay, you know, you really are not able to pay, so you just pay whatever you have. And that's it, right? Mm. But I think now the the demands, financial demands, yeah, is much higher. So I'm not so sure. It's more <coughs> strict now. I mean, because mm. I mean, public hospitals as well. You don't, yeah. Mm. Um, they try to recover their costs. So, but they will call the employers in. They will mm. call the embassy. They will uh, call NGOs. Mm. Uh, right. mm. There are avenues help. that that yeah. public hospitals will take. Yeah, first. yeah, mm. yeah. All right. Um, we also have a listener who um, WhatsApped in to share um, a perspective. Um, and he says, in our company, we make it a point to provide the same healthcare for foreign workers um, as we do for local employees. They're all employees and we shouldn't differentiate them in terms of benefits. And that's a really good perspective yeah. we have from a listener. And I think that's really how employers um, should re- uh, behave and should um, offer protection to their employees. Um, you can also keep, you can keep WhatsApping your thoughts or questions in if you have any our number is 018-789-8899. Um, Dr. Abed, I want to move on to talk about CLQs now in light of recent yeah. um, announcements about that. So, and, and I guess I want to explore living conditions, right? Um, because that ties back to what Dr. Tarani mentioned earlier about social determinants of health. What kind of housing are migrant workers in Malaysia usually given? What do the conditions look like? At the moment, I'm sorry to say that it is really, really unsatisfactory. Mm. Uh, if you ask me to spend a night there, I say thank you very much. No thanks, <laughs> you mm. know. Uh, you know, it, it is very poor. Most of us don't even give a second thought to it. That's right. Yeah, we assume, you know, that they have a place to stay, mm. or they might be staying in a low-cost flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with five to ten people in it mm. sometimes, and there's this phenomenon called hot bedding. I don't uh-huh. know if you've heard of that or not. Like hot desking. Yeah. Right. So, because workers work 12-hour shifts, uh-huh. so the person who comes back from the shift sleeps and the one goes to work, so his bed becomes empty. Right. Yeah? So, you so, fully utilise it in yeah. the absence mm. of anyone sleeping there. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that phenomena is, is ongoing at the moment, mm. you know. But if you look at the CLQs, there are actually guidelines provided by... Uh, I can't remember which, which ministry now, on what the minimum requirements are for the CLQs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The bed, you must have a bed for each other, for one person, not mm-hmm. sharing and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you have to have toilet facilities, running water, electricity. It has to be humane, essentially. Humane, yeah, you know, basic minimum stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure you've heard that uh, in Penang, there already have been 
communities there who are protesting against the Penang government who's going to set up a CLQ. Uh-huh. Mm. You know, in, in in that particular area. And the people who live there say, no, we don't want all these foreigners here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Tarani, that's a big problem for mm. us, that mm. xenophobia against migrant mm. workers. Yeah. How will CLQs address or how, or how can we frame this topic of CLQ mm. so that we don't fuel that sort of xenophobic yeah. um, mm. I, I discussion? Think, I think, you know, CLQ, uh, the basically this purpose-built housing, uh, mm-hmm. this is something the Singaporean terminology. Yeah, same thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I like that that idea because mm. um, it it is a positive thing. Mm. So we must think of it in a positive direction and not uh, use the xenophobic ideas to frame the narrative. I mean, the the issue is basically migrant housing in Malaysia is a problem. Yeah. We saw that especially during the pandemic. Mm. I mean, look, literally they were they falling sick and uh, no you, know, you can't do anything about it. I mean, basically it's really bad. So they live in makeshift con- uh, housing. They... You know, it's very hard to regulate. Okay, could um, you elaborate so a bit more, Dr. Tarani, on how these kinds of housing conditions impact their health, both directly and indirectly? Yeah. So I mean, like basically, you know, uh, if you are living in, um, there's so many effects. Like basically, if it's overcrowding, mm. uh, unsanitary conditions, um, no things, access to clean water. Yeah, no access to clean water, hand washing, and so in bathing. Yeah. Electricity, uh, we're not talking about fans and uh, <laughs> air conditioning, mm. you know. If you're living in like um, a Kongsi or, a, you know, a container and mm. so on, it's it's just not safe. You During the pandemic, you know, you ask people to keep a physical distance. But mm. how do you reasonably keep a physical dis- uh, distance in that condition? You ask them to stay at home, but then you can't stay at home in a place got no electricity you know, mm. you ask them to cook, but there's no there's facilities. No electricity, there's yeah, no, no facilities. Yeah. There's no clean water. Mm. Mm. I mean, I I don't know. I'm in my housing. The the I mean, I walk through the the shop lots near my housing estate, and you know, outside the restaurant at the mm. back streets, that's where the workers are eating. Mm. Mm. Uh, by the drain, you know, mm. yeah. this is something that's so normalized in Malaysia already. Why is it? You know, mm-hmm. how why is it normal for people to sit on the roadside and eat? You know. Mm-hmm. Because their employer is not giving them a place to sit and eat clean yeah. in mm-hmm. a clean place, mm-hmm. you know. So all this should not be normalized. So we we um, uh, um, there's national laws for it. It's actually the um, the uh, the workers' minimum standards yes. of housing mm-hmm. and amenities act. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1990 is called Act 446. Mm-hmm. Four, and six, and yeah. that will cover CLQs as well. Yeah. So it's not specifically for CLQs. It's mm. for all living. It's standardized right. uh, facilities. What what is the needs for those facilities mm. uh, for for housing? So it can be applied for rented apartment, a concy. I mean, whatever. Mm. Yeah. So it doesn't determine a CLQ. Mm. Okay. The CLQ is a, is a, f- a new phenomena. Mm. It's a new phenomena, and we got the idea from Singapore actually. Mm. Yeah. So we have, we have to call it differently here. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, but whatever it is, uh, like Prof. Rani says, you know, Act Four Four Six actually is. Originally for plantation and mining. Right. And I remember when I first started doing occupational health, my clinic sent me out to to do inspection of the lines mm-hmm. in plantations. Right. Mm. And they were, you know, housing for the rubber tappers. Sure. Mm. And they have a crash for children. Uh-huh. You know, have house I mean the babysitters and all that. And I had to inspect the 
helpers make sure their hands are clean. Mm-hmm. There's no scabies and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it was already there in that act way back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the act is still on the our the statutes. laws are there. It's the whether, there. whether we are using them or not. And that's therefore why the CLQs, the basic uh, physical requirements. Mm-hmm are specifically mentioned. Well, at least that's a standard to ensure sure. their safety and also their, you know, minimal um, living condition. But when we have a Penang situation that everyone has this attitude, not in my own backyard. Yeah, be, yeah. yeah. How do we overcome that? Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> it just shows, I mean, you know, we are all, I mean, we talk about Malaysians being very open, very, you know, we are multiracial, multi, we are all happy, you know. Yeah. But when it comes to this, we have this blind spot, you know, mm. because you see all these foreign workers or migrant workers coming in, you know, it spoils the look of the yeah. environment or yeah. somehow. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, yeah, it is one of those things that... But uh, in, in reality, it's already happening anyway with all the skyscrapers in KL. Mm. You get all these little pockets of townships around, mm. you know, mm. Kampong Baru and that sort of thing. Mm. And people are living in that conditions. Why don't we actually standardise it and make it into living conditions condition. and recognise that these people need to live in mm. a reasonable yeah. living condition? Exactly. I think that's the thing, right, George? It's recognising that everyone deserves so, to have good yeah. living condition and that, you know, it's what we're doing is not it's improving conditions for our migrant workers who are also working towards the betterment of our economy for our own lives right it's changing people's mindsets for that no no I agree with you I I think you know I don't sometimes think about it and I say we talk a lot about you know wanting things to be better for everyone and all that but when it comes to migrant workers somehow there is that block Mm -hmm. That we can't get over. Yeah, yeah, but the the reality is that they they are already in our backyard. And then when you formalize it, and you know, somehow it just becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. So we we have to look at it in a positive light. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason why we are doing it, I mean, for the humane, the human rights thing, but also, okay, for our health, uh, Mm. self preservation, I mean, we do need them. Okay, we do know that they are essential to society and we do know if we don't look after them, we also are affected. You yeah. see, during the COVID pandemic, what happened? You know, mm-hmm. if you don't take care of their conditions, they are going to get sick and they're not going to get sick in isolation. We are also going to get sick. Mm-hmm. We have to look after everybody in society mm-hmm. and they are not living in, they, they do not, they should not be living in isolation. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we'll go for another quick break and continue this discussion when we come back on the show with me today, our Associate Professor, Dr. Tarani Loganathan, Public Health Physician at University of Malaya and Dr. Abed On, Vice President of the Academy of Occupational and Environmental Medicine Malaysia and of course my co-host, consultant urologist Dr. George Lee for this Doctor in the House episode. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su, and you're tuned to an episode of our Doctor in the House series and joining me is my co-host, consultant urologist, Dr. George Lee. And today we are exploring the issue of the health and well-being of migrant (coughs) workers. These are people who are extremely vital to our lives, to our economy here in Malaysia. And yet, um, we don't always give a second thought to the conditions that they live in, to their health, um, both their physical and mental health. So joining us to weigh in today is... 
um, our Associate Professor Dr. Tarani Loganathan from University of Malaya and Dr. Abed On, Vice President of the Academy of Occupational and Environmental Medicine Malaysia. Um, Dr. Abed, just very briefly, you know, I mentioned mental health and that's something that um, I want to highlight for a bit. What impact do substandard living and working conditions have on migrant workers' mental health and do we pay enough attention to that? Obviously, uh, the issue about mental health uh, covers a wide range of uh, areas, really. Uh, you know, there is this issue about what I call psychosocial hazards. Mm. Mm. That means, you know, discrimination, bullying, exploitation, not only by employers, but sometimes by authorities themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm putting it very mildly. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, and recently there's a film depicting that. That's I guess. right. Yeah. No, yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. That's right yeah. Anyway, then there's a financial burden that the, the, the migrant worker has. He has to pay a lot of money to get here. Uh. And he has to pay somebody else here mm. to stay here. And they're doing all of that to get money to send back home. Whatever mm. that's left, mm-hmm. they can send back home. So that's a financial mm. burden. Then there's also the separation from family. Uh-huh. Some of them are, are parents, a mm-hmm. father or mm-hmm. wife mm-hmm. with kids back home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't go back for five, six, seven years. I've got one uh, worker who told me eight years mm-hmm. he's been here. And it's very common to hear that. Yeah, he has not seen mm-hmm. the child except on video cam. Mm-hmm. If they're lucky, they're given access to the phone. Phone, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah. So, you know, in that sense. And then, of course, you know, the um, this financial burden is really, we, we, we don't think too much about it, but it's actually, a, uh, it affects the, 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 the... Very stressful. Stressful for them. I've seen, for example, security guards, because I live in the condo, the security guards, on the phone with his family, him shouting and all that, having arguments on the, on the thing because, you know, he's like, I don't understand what's going on there and, you know, things like that. So it's all this uh, taking a very heavy toll on their peace of mind. Their wellness mm-hmm. is, of course, fortunately in this particular instance, you know, he was living in the nice accommodations provided, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, reasonable, not, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, reasonable for, for, for what they, uh, they, they provided in that sense. So there are all those kind of things. And I'm sure, Rani, I'm sure you, you hear about other mm-hmm. things as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, it really disturbs me uh, when I hear about, you know, how some of the uh, micro workers are, you know, have money extorted from them by mm. authorities. Yes. Mm. You know? So is the problem then also changing Malaysians' mindset when it comes to how we treat um, migrant workers in order to improve their living conditions, in order to improve their access to healthcare services. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Definitely, definitely. definitely. I mean, uh, we're not going to change policy makers before we... If we to, to change policy and laws and so on, mm. we Malaysians have to push for it. We mm. have to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. But if we normalise things like xenophobic sentiments and so on, um, it doesn't go anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So the country is dependent on migrant workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw that post-pandemic. I mean, when when uh, the workforce was opening up and we didn't have enough labour. Mm-hmm. Because, Malaysia, uh, because the, 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 the intake of migrant workers was paused during that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Malaysians... I mean, these jobs were not popular with Malaysians. Malaysia, even though it was opened up to Malaysians, mm-hmm. they didn't want to work in those mm-hmm. jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
And you cannot say that this this is cheap labor. It actually isn't cheap for an employer mm-hmm. because that in it's a they have to invest in their migrant worker. They cannot have their migrant worker coming in and then get a new one. You know, having to replace them, it becomes very very expensive. expensive. Yes. Yeah, they need to invest in a worker to stay for the long term, maybe for five years or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They have to pay for all the the things to from recruitment to to healthcare to housing mm-hmm. to you know training it, and all that it mm. costs money so they should invest in the safety and welfare of their workers mm. i mean on that basis right i mean we all know that in order to have that degree of standards and then you just need money and of course in malaysia we have these kind of minimum wage and also is it applicable to migrant workers oh yeah yes yeah, yes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's for all but workers. is it enforced Oh yeah, supposed yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the 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 migrant workers now know that's the minimum they expect. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So most of them don't work minimum wage only. You know, you, if you see migrant workers, <coughs> they work longer. They work all the shifts. They want to work as long and as hard as they can because for them it's about earning money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not earning money to spend in Malaysia. It's to send back home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in those cases, it's even more important to ensure that they have humane working conditions, that they have healthcare services if they are putting themselves in situations mm-hmm. where they are overworked, right? Yes. Exactly. I think that's very true. I think, uh, for example, uh, this to do with local workers in the electronic industry, which I was covering one time. Uh, they used to have three shifts, eight-hour eight shifts. Because, uh, 24 hours. Clock, yeah. yeah. And... Because, of course, they have three shifts. So when they worked out the sums, someone said, hey, why don't we do it two shifts, 12-hour shifts? And they sell the idea to the employees by saying, okay, for the first eight hours, you are paid normal rate. Mm. Then the extra four hours is overtime rates. Mm. So everybody say, yay, you know, let's, I, want, I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they forget that they are being exposed to hard work or to whatever hazards they are in the workplace, mm-hmm. 40, for extra uh, hours, that means 50% more than what they are used to. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, within six months, I began to see employees with problems. Mm. You know? And Because pointed, it's every day, isn't it? It's every day, yep. yeah. So I had to explain to the employer, I said, look, you know, this was happening. Oh, you know. So finally I gave up. I mean, I stepped <laughs> oh. back from that job. Because I... They, they they were not listening. They mm. were all they wanted was the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. you know. So that that things like that. so for the foreign workers, like you say, they are actually working to earn. In fact, if you can work for twenty four hours, they work for twenty four hours. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. How can we change mindsets there? What would you like to see? I think it's long term, it's hard, right? We need policies. But in mm-hmm. the short term, um, I'll go around the table. What What would you like to see, Dr. Mm-hmm. Abed, to improve um, conditions for workers? And this is, you know, with the bigger picture of their health and well-being. Really, I, I think, you know, uh, legislations, guidelines are all in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not perfect. But if we just follow the minimum requirements based on legislation and guidelines, that would be a good start. Mm. Okay, that's number one. Number two, of course, then there's the issue of uh, enforcement. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know? And I think if you remember one of the rubber gloves companies, mm-hmm. they only changed their ways because US blocked. They were told. Mm. They were told, yeah. You know? Forced labor. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. So, you know, forced labor. And they changed. Mm-hmm. So it is possible for for, for 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 this to change mm-hmm. if they are forced to 
Unfortunately, mm. the self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm very skeptical or very <laughs> cynical oh, about yeah, it. Let's put yeah, it that way. Mm. Being in this business for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I I think okay. Um, you you ask for the the short uh <laughs> the things that can be achievable, yeah. but I I still think that we need to look at it the bigger picture sure. first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from the employer's point of view, I mean they need to invest in their workers, yeah. but also in the government point of view, I mean you have to think about um. Uh, reducing the dependency on irregular workers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, labor protection is important. We do not want do- regular documented workers to become undocumented. Mm-hmm. That safety mm-hmm. net should be there. I mean, uh, once they're irregular, it's not like they're leaving the country. They're going, still going to be working and um, maybe they are less protected. Mm. Yeah, they are more likely to be exploited. Mm. Okay, so uh, it's not good. Mm. So so this is what the government have to, has to go about. They have to think about what to do about this. Prevent mm-hmm. them from becoming irregular. Mm-hmm. And then think about regularizing them. There must be a mechanism mm-hmm. to regularize them. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm. George, what have you taken away from this whole conversation? Well, I, to be honest with you, I mean, today's show has been very eye-opening. Mm. I look at it in a, a kind of like a, a three stakeholders um, mm. pillars. The government has a rule to set the regulations that needs to be adhered to. And then the enforcement needs to be implied onto the employers, mm. who is the second stakeholders, who really needs to have uh, shoulder that responsibility for the well-being of the um, employees. Mm. And then lastly, the employees themselves, including uh, in mainly the documented and non-documented, really need to be well informed. So mm. all these three are interchanged. But... I think despite all these threes are doing its job, if there is no cultural shift Mm -hmm. as far as the community is concerned and we continue to actually treat them as a second-class citizen, this whole thing will break down. Mm -hmm. I think after the pandemics, the least we learn from this is that if we don't look after them, everything will fall apart, including our own health. I really think that we need to have the cultural shift to think that they are part of us and they're here for the uh, for the well-being of us as well. Mm, and just because they're doing the jobs that Malaysians don't want to do doesn't mean that we should treat them as anything less. It doesn't mean that they are yeah, worth less yeah. than us. Yeah, yeah. because the, the job has to be done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, And that cultural shift really yeah. needs to start from all of us in the community. Mm. Yes. Mm. Alright, and on that note, thank you all so much for joining me today. My co-host, consultant neurologist Dr. George Lee and our guest, Associate Professor Dr. Tarani Loganathan, public health physician and associate professor of global health at University Malaya and Dr. Abed On, vice president of the Academy of Occupational and Environmental Medicine in Malaysia. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.